What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. What I do here is a daily live stream, and I put it out in podcast form. If you want to take part in the live streams, you can follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner, or better yet, go to the telegram t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Also, check out the website bitcoinandmarkets.com. Sign up for the free tier, get notified of all my content, get a free weekly newsletter. And there you can also become a full member and support me for $5 a month and support this unique perspective in Bitcoin. So I have been in Bitcoin for almost 10 years. I have an economics and business background as well as a military career. So I have a unique perspective, a unique outlook. And if you listen to this whole episode today, you'll get a taste of that unique outlook. So I want to thank everyone that supports over there on BitcoinAndMarkets.com. If you're new, I hope you enjoy the episode. Subscribe, like, share, check out BitcoinandMarkets.com. Okay, let's get into today's show. Welcome back to another live stream. Today is December 28, 2022. Still have my head cold, as you can tell, but feeling a little bit better today. Uh, little by little, getting less congested, so that's a good thing. Um Today, I just wanted to go over a couple things from Macro. I saw an article about semiconductors, so I wanted to talk about that. Also, we have new uh, home sales stuff out in the U.S. I was going to go over that and then open up the mic and see if you guys have any topics or anything you guys wanted to talk about. So let's jump right into it. All right. First thing is the Bitcoin chart. I did not post that this morning so i'm going to do that right now in telegram if you're listening on the podcast make sure you're in the telegram it's a t.me forward slash bitcoin and markets really simple to join telegram really simple to um you know there, there's all sorts of groups what i like about telegram it's almost like reddit in a way where there's all these different channels or uh, subreddits but you have like channels in telegram that are per topic so you can just belong to a bunch of these groups and every day you kind of go through and look at your news I, I think i'm loving telegram i never used it very much until probably about six months ago but i'm really loving all the different features you can even do a video here on this this live stream so maybe i'll do that in the future and share my screen and all that we'll see okay uh, so that's the Bitcoin chart. And as you can see, we're down here a little bit today, but really nothing to report at all on the price. There was some news about MicroStrategy selling some Bitcoin. And that was what I pinned or I posted up above. And of course, you guys are all over it. So uh, Point said, no biggie. It's just a wash sale. Michael said, yes, typical end of the year selling. Spagball said, uh, it's not like... They dumped everything for a loss <laughs> like Elon did. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I'm not at all worried about this. Um, I saw a post on Twitter the other day. Somebody was saying like, hey, if Michael Saylor dumped like 50% of Bitcoiners would dump. And I don't believe that for a second. I don't believe that for a second. I think Michael Saylor is a good influence on the space because he is a respectable businessman, you know. He's had a 
been the CEO of his own company, very successful software company for 30 years, is it? 25, 30 years. They're heavily profitable. And he is a long-term investor. Like I remember when he first came out, he was he did a podcast. I don't know if it was Marty Bent when he came out as a Bitcoiner. And he said that, you know, he had some like domain names that he held on for a long time. And then like Vitalik or something bought a domain name from him. I can't remember exactly what that story was, but um, he's a long-term investor. He sees things in decades, not in uh, weeks or months, you know? So um, I think he's a very good billionaire representative, if you will, for the Bitcoin space. And yeah, this is just typical end of year stuff. They're getting all their ducks in a row, making sure they can maximize their um, tax benefits, right? So tax avoidance is okay. Tax evasion is what is illegal. So this is just tax avoidance stuff that they're doing. And I, hey, uh, remember that time he went on with Raul on, what, what's Raul's thing? Real Vision? And he like schooled Raul on why Ethereum is a security. And I mean, he, 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 the, one of the great things about Michael Saylor is he's so well-versed in like the regulations, the, the regulations of what makes something an equity um, or not. And he could, with that knowledge, he looked directly at the space. He was like, well, everything's a security, but Bitcoin. Um, so and th that's how obvious it, obvious it is for people being honest, right? Even Gary Gensler, who is, he is a Bitcoiner, I think, you know, he like, I say this all the time, he admires Satoshi and he has only ever said that Bitcoin is, it's special and it's a commodity where everything else is a security, but he hasn't gone after them, right? For being unregistered securities, but, you know, he's also can be corrupted, Right. These government officials can be corrupted, which we can see with what happened with Sam Bankman. So um, anyway, I think Michael Saylor is a good influence on the space, but I'm not like a Michael Saylor, Saylor fanboy or anything. I did see another clip uh, where he was talking about um, two things that we want to expand in the future was uh, the dollar and Bitcoin. Let me see if I can find that and play that clip on here. I think I can. One second. It should come over my system audio. So let's see if I can do this here. No, that's not coming over. Sorry, that's not the audio is not coming over. But um, yeah, so he said there's two things that should expand the US dollar and Bitcoin and the US dollar because so many people around the world want the US dollar. Okay, yeah, that's fine. And a lot of people were getting after him for saying, you know, he's a fiat maxi, he's a petrodollar maxi all this stuff. I mean, it's, it's amazing how the immune system fights anything that could be perceived as a pathogen, right? And as soon as Michael Saylor says something that could be interpreted as anti-Bitcoin in some way that the immune system goes to work and starts calling him out. And I think that's great. It's a great example of how um, the toxic immune system of decentralization works. You know, you don't see that with anything else, really. I mean, truly decentralized projects have this type of immune system. That's why you don't see it with other things. But 
anyway, uh, very, very interesting. So that was that. What other macro thing did I want to talk about today? Charts. I want to, oh, no, let, let's just go on to uh, first one. Sorry, guys. Um, M2 is, I posted this chart. It was by Michael Leibowitz. He put it onto Twitter. I would have interviewed him for FedWatch way back, like a year and a half, two years ago. And I think he's an honest broker, but he doesn't quite see things obviously the way I see things. Nobody sees things the way I see them. But um, he has this chart about M2, and it's the first time ever that we've been measuring it that M2 money supply is negative, like the growth is negative. That's that's something special to say there, right? Um, but then he has this other thing where he has this like long-term trend line, and we're still like 5% above the long-term trend line just because M2 exploded so much with COVID. Um, I, I find it amazing that people still care about M2 and think M2 matters, that M2 is actual money printing. I mean, if you just look at this chart, so let's go back to the great financial crisis. Let's go to 2008. M2 grew at 10%, then it went down to like, 2%, then back up to 10% by 2011. And it stayed above 5% growth of M2 pretty much the whole time until 2018, it dipped down below 5% and then woo, it went up to 25%. Um, so this growth of M2 has been above 5%, but CPI has been, you know, struggling to get to 2%. This is also goes into my, uh, arguments against things like shadow stats, you know, like if shadow, shadow stats reports in CPI or import reports inflation at like 15%. Okay. They don't understand that living under 15% inflation for 10 years, you will notice it. I mean, how come gasoline isn't $50 a gallon? If Inflation has been 15%. How come food is relatively the same? How, you know, all these things. I mean, people notice this. How, how do you believe in shadow stats that says inflation has been 15% for decades, yet you still are filling up for $3 or less a gallon of gasoline? You, you have to have some short circuit. So just given enough time, those types of things should work themselves out. And I want to add in here, like another thing that people might say is, oh, what about the Chapwood Index? You know, I, I haven't looked at it in a long time, but let me pull it up here. Chapwood Index. Chapwoodindex.com. It's a CPI replacement. But if you go into like they're about, it says like in their mission statement, wherever it was, I'd have to read through this this website again, but it says like pretty much CPI under reports inflation. So our mission is to report inflation higher than the CPI. Plus they are closed source. Chapwood index is closed source where CPI is open source. So we can go in and say, okay, well, we don't like I do all the time. Like I say, shelter, it's a lagging in, it's a lagging part of the CPI. So let's talk about what that means. Let's talk about what, can we deduce 
about the economy and going forward, what that means. We can't do that with Chapwood because we don't freaking know anything about it. All we know is their mission statement is they want to overstate inflation. That's their mission. So shadow stats, Chapwood, this stuff, I understand it, okay? I am sympathetic to it because I was a gold bug Austrian with blinders on for decades, people. But you got to say, like, look at all this QE that we've had since the great financial crisis. Look at this M2 chart that we were just talking about. M2 was growing at an average of like 8% a year for 12 years. And we had 1% inflation or CPI growth. I mean, that it doesn't make sense. You have to check your assumptions. And when I started checking my assumptions was back in, I think it was like 2018, 2019, when it was getting a little more obvious we were going back into recession. It was the first like big recession since the great financial crisis. I'm like, how the hell can we go back into recession without experiencing the inflationary effects of QE? Like, how does that work? And then I had to question my assumptions. I had to dive into it. I had to be honest with myself. There's so many people out there that are just like um, Peter Schiff. I watched one of his recent, I guess, vlogs or whatever. And people just think that he is so insightful. But he just says the same thing on every single, like for the last, since 2000 and, well, probably since the 90s, he's been saying the same thing. And he's been right a couple times, but he hasn't been right on other things. Like yesterday, on yesterday's live stream, which now is up in podcast apps, if you guys missed it, you can go back and listen to that. But um, like if you look at natural gas prices, okay, natural gas prices in the United States are lower today than they were at the great financial crisis. Uh, Oil did not make new highs. The commodity index itself did not make new highs. Uh, I think the Baltic Dry Index did not make new highs. Let me go back and check this. The Baltic Dry, I'll go to a monthly. So yeah, the Baltic Dry Index did not make new highs. No, like copper, let's take a look at copper. I think that was the one exception. Like out of all the commodities and that you look at the great financial crisis versus today, the great financial crisis was higher highs in Absolute prices. We're talking absolute prices here. And copper just made a marginally higher high. And that's the only main commodity. Let's see. It was 463 back after the great financial crisis. And it got up to 490. But it's down since then. So like all of these things since the great financial crisis are lower to flat. So how does that fit the narrative of M2 growing at 8% and M2 mattering one iota? M2 does not matter. So that was my long explanation of that chart. (laughs) All right. Let's go on to the next thing was the semiconductor story. I think that's where I wanted to go next. Yeah, the semiconductor story. Let me read this. This was out of the Korea Herald. And the headline is, Oh, let me post that for you guys. Sorry. Posting that in Telegram now. So the headline is, Bold Goals 
set to tackle trade loss next year. So obviously the South Korean news. South Korea on Tuesday laid out a set of bold goals to support private sector-led growth in 2023, promising financial aid to achieve a trade surplus and attract foreign investment in a bid to minimize the impacts of a global economic slowdown. While 2023 is expected to be challenging for the economy amid growing uncertainties in the global market, the government said it will achieve $380 billion in exports and attract more than $30 billion in foreign investment, while investing some 100 trillion yuan or 79 billion dollars in uh the facility sector okay i wanted to get to this where they're talking about a alliance here okay here we go south korea will consider joining the fab four alliance of semiconductor powerhouses also known as the chip four alliance that has been proposed by the u.s the ministry said. The Fab Four aims to foster connections between global chip powerhouses Korea, Japan, and Taiwan that have top capabilities in manufacturing and production of critical equipment and materials. The envisioned alliance would cover all major areas of the chip's value chain. Over the U.S. Inflation, sorry, over the U.S.'s Inflation Reduction Act, which scrapped tax credits for Korean electric vehicle makers selling their cars in the U.S. market, the Korean ministry said that it will make use of the dialogue channel set up with Washington to negotiate a better deal for Korean companies. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, that's what I want to talk about was the Fab Four. So this is, I think this is interesting, all right? The U.S. doesn't actually create the chips, but we have a lot of the design, right? We have a lot of the high-end stuff, and then the South Korea and Taiwan, and I guess Japan has a lot of the actual manufacturing. We also have put on sanctions now on China. And this is not a commentary on the morality of sanctions, okay? This is a commentary on descriptive nature of what's going on here. The Fab Four is going to be a powerhouse. So anyway, just something to chew on here. I did put that link into the Telegram. Let's go on to the next story, and this is pending home sales in the United States. I'm going to put this link in here as well. Okay, so this is out today. Headline, U.S. pending home sales crashed by most on record. Existing home sales crashed, but new home sales rebounded in November, which leaves today's pending home sales as the deciding vote for just how apparently dismal the U.S. housing market really is. And the decision is the housing market is in trouble as pending home sales tumbled 4% month on month versus the 1% expected. And October's drop was revised even deeper. That is the sixth straight month of pending home sale declines and the 12th in the last 13 months. Wow, that's pretty big. Uh, On a year over year basis, pending home sales collapsed 38.6%, the largest annual drop ever. But it's also from the largest peak ever. Uh, There are approximately, quote, there are approximately two months of lag time between mortgage rates and home sales, Lawrence Yoon, NAR's chief economist, said in a statement. With mortgage rates falling throughout December, home buying activity should inevitably rebound in the coming months and help economic growth, end quote. 
Pending sales fell in all four regions in the month, led by the Northeast and Midwest. Outside the COVID lockdown collapse, this is the lowest pending home sales index level ever. Most most problematically, pending home sales are often looked to as a leading indicator of existing home purchases given properties typically go under contract a month or two before they're sold. And another thing too about home sales is they are a source of credit, right? They're a source of credit expansion. These mortgages obviously are bundled into mortgage-backed securities and used as collateral. Um, so this is a big source of credit expansion. And if home sales are collapsing, that is a huge sign that there is going to be a credit crunch coming soon. But also, record numbers are usually not followed by another record number. Or if they are, like, two record numbers. That's basically what I'm trying to say, is if you're at record levels, you're close to changing direction, okay? And when I look at this chart, uh, I, I feel like we're close to changing direction. But I'll post this chart in the telegram now. So that's not good. That's definitely not good. Uh, mortgage rates are coming down slightly. So we'll see how this affects the market. All right. So what I'm going to do is open it up right now for anybody, questions, comments, concerns over there on Telegram while I'm waiting for any hands to be raised. Guys listening on the podcast app, Join the Telegram, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Check out bitcoinandmarkets.com. Every podcast has an associated post. So if I talk about charts, the chart will be in that post. If I talk about links, those links will be in that post. So uh, a lot of the different podcast apps, you know, because I post it on one service and it gets distributed everywhere, right? Uh, But not every podcast app that you're going to be listening on is going to be able to have clickable links in the description, but you can always go to the associated post on my website and get all the links that you need. All right, Dan, bringing you in. What's up, Dan? Uh, sorry. Hey, uh, I'm not a Michael Saylor fanboy either, but um, he did <laughs> buy 500 Bitcoin this, this morning, supposedly. Yeah, I saw the the net of all of his activities was plussing up. 2500 right yeah i don't i don't know the details but it it looks yeah like 2500 yeah yeah that was a net result he's adding a little bit but i think they harvested some for some tax reasons um i thought you would have to wait i mean i'm not an expert on this stuff but i thought you had to wait till the new year to buy but apparently you can declare at the time of sale, like this is what you're doing this for. And then you can go ahead and rebuy or whatever the case is. So that is, looks like what he did. Um, yeah. All right. Anybody else? All right. Well, I want to thank you guys for, uh, sticking out through my stuffiness. Um, I'm not really feeling like the most energetic on these live streams the last couple of days because of my, my nose, but, uh, thanks for joining me. Hope you guys got something out of this. Like, subscribe if you're listening on the podcast. Uh, follow me on all the, you know, uh, Twitter and join the Telegram. And that's going to do it for today. So thank you guys. See you tomorrow. Bye.